Well, I got to tell you, it's a great day to go inside EMS, and I'm your host, Chris Sabalero. It's a very, very exciting time in EMS. This is the internationally recognized, by the way, inside EMS. We love to hear from our international partners. Speaking about partners, here is my guy, always sitting in the chair to the right, the man I like to call Kelly Grayson. KG, what's going on? All same stuff, different day, man. I'm finally getting a chance to breathe. Uh, we just wrapped our, our state EMS conference. Um, and uh, uh, it's uh, a trying time. You know, I got to tell you, man, you know, the State EMS Conference of Louisiana, I'm sure, is an incredible experience. But once again, I've not been invited down to come and speak. So well, for, for as far as I'm concerned, um, I, I don't want to hear about the Louisiana State Conference anymore. You were you were actually were invited to speak, but the hotel lost your uh, your oh, reservation uh, yeah. along with along with everybody else's. Uh, okay. Oh my god, that's just horrible. But um, so maybe next year, maybe next year we'll do that. Yeah. But uh, well, before we get started, one of the things that we want to do, you know, Kelly, you and I talk a lot about you mm-hmm. know going to conferences and speaking, and you know, we, we think about some of the big conferences that are here in the United States. But there are conferences around the world that we really need to start to, you know, become part of. And our next guest is going to talk to us a little bit about the conference that's coming up a little bit north of the border, where they don't have a wall, uh, in Canada. <laughs> he is the chief executive officer of the Canadian Paramedic Association, Dwayne Forsman. I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So we, I mean, really, when we think about conferences, I mean, you guys do an excellent job of really getting, uh, you know, continuing education and the way that you guys are doing, um, you know, the business up there of being an EMS. And I think having you here to kind of talk about your conference and and giving the listeners a little bit of perspective of what they can expect, um, you know, why don't you just share a little bit about it? And I know that the uh, early bird's coming up, so we wanted to talk about that as well. Yes, thank you. Um, absolutely, we'd certainly like to invite your uh, your podcast viewers to to come up north of the border and to uh, check out what we Canadians have to offer for EMS education. The Paramedic Association of Canada uh, uh, puts on a, a host a conference every two years. Um, we don't do it every year, and uh, it's called Paramedicine Across Canada Expo. And this is the, the largest national conference in Canada. Uh, it includes a trade show and a few uh, pre-conference events. Um, and it moves across the country whenever we have it. And in this year, September 19th to the 21st, it's in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which is the geographic center of the country. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that's really interesting is that when we, we think about this conference that's in Canada, a lot of people have never experienced the beauty that is Canada, have never experienced the culture that is Canada. And this could be one of those conferences that we put on our calendars that we could actually take the family on an incredible vacation and then get some great continuing education. So, you know, you talked about that this is in September and early bird registration now is uh, going on. And if people wanted to find the conference, if people wanted to get involved with the conference, what's the best way that they can do that? The best way is to go to the website. So the website is pacexpo.ca. So it's pacexpo.ca. It's full of information, not only about the program, but about 
extra events that you can take in while you're you're in uh, the Winnipeg, Manitoba area. Um, it lists all the pre-conference events as well as how to register. We were looking forward to having our, our American friends, particularly to come across. As Canadians, we we tend to travel a fair bit for our, our conference education, and we spend a lot of time in the U.S. Actually, um, uh, EMS Today, uh, EMS World Expo, etc. And uh, we'd certainly like to get you guys to come across to uh, to our side of the border and see how we do things uh, in the EMS world here. That's something I would I would really look forward to doing. I don't I don't know if I can make September of this year, but that has been on my bucket list. You know, Chris, we've got a we've got a, a good many listeners in, in Canada and and quite a few uh, friends and acquaintances that are in uh, EMS in Canada, uh, and it's always nice to expand your horizons and see how see how other countries do things um, and probably do them in in better ways and in, in many ways than than we do. Um, I, that's a perspective I think we need. Yes, for for this event, uh, we have a theme. It's called uh, uh, diversity in paramedicine, uh, or exploring diversity in paramedicine. And we took that theme on uh, for to be a very in, in the broad sense of the word. Um, we're talking about diversity, not only in the makeup of the EMS system as far as the people goes. Uh, or the clients that we uh, look after, but also diversity in, in the different uh, delivery models, in diversity in how we deliver, as in community paramedicine, flight paramedicine, etc. So we recognize that paramedicine and EMS is becoming a very diverse uh, profession, and uh, so we're going to delve right into it. We've got a number of things that uh, talk about that. I think that's going to be awesome, Dwayne, and we really wanted to have you come on and really kind of give us a brief overview, but but let's do this. I mean, we know that people are going to miss the early bird. Hopefully, the folks that are listening, if you're thinking about getting up there and checking out a conference, this is the time to do it, but let's have you back on a future show, maybe in the next couple of weeks, and maybe just give us a little bit about some of the speakers that are going to be up there, and really kind of let's highlight this process of uh, what you guys are doing up there in Winnipeg. Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. Um, it would take a little while to go through it all, but uh, I want to do that for you guys. I think uh, it would be of interest to you. I can tell you that we've got uh, people coming not only from across our own country, but also for, I think at this point we've got like 10 countries that are coming with representatives. So uh, this event is becoming international, and uh, which we're very proud of. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Inside EMS, and we'll look forward to visiting with you really soon. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you, Dwayne. Dwayne. So, Kelly, it's really kind of the first time we've ever done anything like that. We've kind of had a little, uh, you know, kind of a pre-guest before we get to our real guest. And uh, let's go ahead and talk about our real guest, because I'm really excited to bring her in. You know, last week, I think we did a really great show where we talked about continuing education and how we go about you know, really getting people to the polish, really getting people to the next level. Mm-hmm. And, and we're really going to kind of pick that up again. I think we're going to switch back to initial training and where are we going to be in our uh, training processes of how to make the next generation of providers. And I, I'm really excited for our next guest. And, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do in my career, Kelly, and, and I know you've done this as well, is we need to start thinking about the next generation of leaders. 
and you and I've yeah. been doing the podcast for five years. You and I have had the opportunity to speak consistently on the state and lo- uh, national levels. And, you know, even in the leadership of EMS, we have to be able to pass the baton. And I think that our next guest is really one of those individuals who now is in the driver's seat of taking uh, old people like you, uh, their positions, and uh, moving into the next generation of EMS leadership, EMS education, being the voice of EMS. And I'm excited to introduce our next guest, Ginger Locke. She is an associate professor at Austin Community College. She is also the hostess of Medic Mindset, one of those great podcasts that you and I have not been invited to as a guest. Ginger, I want to welcome you to Inside EMF. Man, all that just kind of made my hands sweaty. Thanks for that. How about that? I didn't I read it just like you wrote it. I mean, wasn't that the way? It, <laughs> isn't that the way it was supposed to come out? But Ginger, we are excited, and I got to tell you, I mean, both Kelly and I, we are fans of yours, and uh, mm-hmm. you and I have done a little work together in the past, and we listen to the medic mindset, and uh, we enjoy what you're putting out. And really, the truth is, you are going to be one of those people that we need to keep our eye on because you are going to set the standard for the next generation of educators, uh, podcasters, and eventually leadership. And I really appreciate you saying that. It means a lot coming from you guys. And um, the admiration is just absolutely mutual. You guys were, you know, the big personalities I found when I very first went online looking to see what people were doing and um, Kelly's books and your leadership. And um, it's just a really an honor to talk to you guys. So it's, thank you. It's- and thank you. You wrote, you read that exactly like we wrote it. Exactly. <laughs> to go. You know, so one of the things that we want to focus on, and Ginger really takes her education in her position at Austin Community College, as well as the stuff that you teach in your podcast. And we really want to kind of focus on a couple things here. The first thing is, how do we create a psychologically safe environment in the classroom? And I think the first question I want to ask you, Ginger, is what exactly does that mean and why do we need to be cognizant of that? Right. What is that? That is uh, creating an environment where learning is optimized, where people learn best. And what we know about education is that people learn best when their um, defenses are down, when they're open, when they have a growth mindset. And it really goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs until you know that those foundational needs are met, like Um, Like if you're really, really tired, you're not going to learn, right? Or if you're really, really hungry, that's all you can think about. The same goes. The the very next step up in the pyramid are things like feeling respected, feeling like part of a community. Um, And so you really have to satiate those needs anytime you've got this human interaction going on or or people get stuck there. How you do that is it's a can be a bit of a beast with adults because adults come to the learning environment with all the baggage of not only their lives, but all their kind of educational history, right? Where it might not have been real safe at different times psychologically. You know, and that's one of the things that, that is paid short shrift in, in EMS education uh, programs are talking specifically about instructor training. Um, you know, there's there's a brief module on creating an effective learning environment, and it's about temperature control and and <laughs> and the way you set up your classroom. You know, uh, do you want the U shape, the horseshoe shape, the theater, yeah. or and that kind of stuff? But it's not about actually creating that psychological environment where where people are open to learning and and the things you said. It's and and one of the things I'm discovering uh, about myself as an instructor, the further I go along is, is, is the, the person I am at an EMS conference 
is different than the critter I am in an EMT classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't realize I did that, but I, you know, I try to, to do the, you know, make it, uh, make it, uh, um, okay to fail uh, because that's where we learn. And I say those things in class and I say, look, mistakes are what we try to happen, uh, try to have happen in class so we can correct them. But I still, uh, according to Nancy and my program director, intimidate the hell out of my students. And and that's something I struggle with each and every day. And one of the things I, I, I like to, to uh, browse your podcast for is those little tips and tricks on, on how to unlock people's, uh, thinking processes and 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 really tailor what i do uh to them so that they're more comfortable in the classroom yeah and i think um so asking them to do it is one thing and you can we can ask people to do it all day long mm-hmm. but really it, i think a great place to start is by role modeling it and i I actually did that today because I had to. I was forced to it. I was teaching in an EMT class, and I never do that. I always teach in the ALS side of the house, um, but it was summer, and the schedule's different. And they were doing splinting, and you know how paramedics feel about splinting. We feel insecure. Mm-hmm. Like it's we're not we're not secure in it because we don't do it often that, enough. That's the EMT's job. <laughs> and so I just, you know, out loud shared that I feel a little insecure here. Help me with this. Y'all teach me. Remind me. Um, so role modeling some of that because we can't know all of it all the time. So just talking about kind of getting meta about your own process that uh, you you yourself have, you know, weaknesses. We're always kind of a work in progress, I think, is is helpful. That's a good starting place. So I'm writing this down. Um, weaknesses. Project, Kelly Grayson Critter. OK, so, <laughs> you know, but here's the thing that I want. I, mean, I, I think it's good that we're talking about setting up a psychological, a psychologically safe environment. But what is it we're trying to protect them from? Are we trying to protect their ego? Are we trying to keep them from not creating an ego? Are we trying to give them an environment where they know that they can make mistakes and that it's okay to do that? So when you talk about this in the sense of, you know, being able to develop this learning environment, what are we, what's the outcome? What, what are we trying to measure here? You're, back to the ego part. I think we're trying to get them to a place where they just forget their ego. Like it, they get lost in the, in the moment and, and kind of in the flow of doing stuff. And they just kind of forget the self because we're constantly, we've got all this self-talk going on. And that self-talk is competing with the talk of, you know, the talk from the, the educator, because we're saying like, Ooh, I don't want to feel dumb or it's people really, really hate feeling dumb in front of others. That is a primal human kind of need Mm -hmm. to not, not feel dumb. So to get to that place where you can kind of help them feel the least dumb, I think is for sure to set them up for success. Like don't throw them in head first into really hard stuff, do incremental kind of building of things. Mm -hmm. And then, Um, then anytime you notice like two students that aren't having positive regard for each other, right? Like just kind of intervening and, and the word that I've used is it's called unconditional positive regard. It's like, you can, you can, you're going to get really direct feedback from me, but it's not personal. I'm not talking about your character. Um, we have mutual respect as adults. I'm just teaching you skills and information. Like there's a general assumption, there's a baseline assumption yeah. that we come that we come in that we're all high functioning, well adjusted adults. We Kelly, start there. Kelly, I want to jump on your on your opportunity for question because I want to follow up a little mm-hmm. bit. Go ahead. Now, so when you think about this, you know, I think you bring up the ego, which is really important. 
And, and I think that we precipitate that in the field once they graduate from school because, you know, we want them to be critical thinkers and we want them to deliver the highest quality of patient care. I think that this is the wrong approach. But from an initial education side, we're developing somehow this this process of saying you need to know everything there is to know about EMS by the time you graduate this program. That's one of the reasons why people won't raise their hand to look like they don't want look like they don't know what they're talking about in front of their peers. How do we change this paradigm now to say if you know everything there is to know about EMS, raise your hand when the course starts, and then at the end of the course you're saying if you know everything there is to know about EMS, raise your hand. It seems like we're the ones that are precipitating this ego. Is it something that we can do in the initial education process where we're talking about setting up this psychologically safe environment that we actually let them know that, one, you don't know everything there is to know about EMS when you start, and you definitely don't know everything there is to know about EMS when you begin, when you finish, and uh, you know you just need to take this process to continue to learn as you get out. Yeah, and I routinely say to them, these words. I say, why would you know that? Why in the world would you know anything about, you know, this disease process or this or how to handle emergencies, right? What in your life has prepared you to put order to chaos? There's very little chaos, you know, that's left in kind of modern civilized society. It's a pretty tidy world that we're living in. So they haven't practiced these skills. Now, my issue, and, and I'm going to I'm going to segue into a question of my own with this. My issue when I say that, I, I really, uh, I probably don't say that enough. What what in your life has prepared you to to answer these questions or to to have this knowledge? Because I teach in a hybrid program, and these guys, my, my students, are supposed to come to class prepared, having read the chapter uh, and and know uh, at least have some some background information on what we're going to be talking about today. What I do in my classrooms is not so much lecture; it's it, it's try how to to uh, apply and and naturalize the the information that they got. From their textbooks and when i stand there i can't sit in front of the classroom or stand in front of the classroom and say well well i understand that you're not prepared for this and and you don't know this and it's okay not to know it because i gave them an assignment and they you know when they're giving me the blank stares i know that they didn't do the assignment so how would you sensitively without crushing their little hopes and dreams uh, rebuke them and tell them that, you know, that's their responsibility to learn uh, and, and to get those or their responsibility to at least uh, um, uh, read the chapters and do your assignments so that you come to class prepared to learn. So how do I address like when a student missteps, like globally, when a student does something that's like Ugh, not desirable, I didn't want you to do that, right? Um I love those moments. That's the sweet spot because that's where you're about to earn a ton of trust. If you can treat them with respect and tell them, you know, I, I'm, I'm respecting you as a human, but this is the journey we're on. These are the steps to get there. I'm the expert. You're a novice. This is, these are the steps. I know the way. And um, just asking them to trust you for a little bit, you've got to build that trust, right? And it's really, it's a delicate moment when they've done something that you wish they hadn't done have done and i love it because it's like okay now's my chance for me to show you that i actually like you as a person and i i mm -hmm. I, I know people are turned yeah. off by the by the word love it's a scary word to say love in an educational environment but it's my chance to show them like i genuinely care about you i hate it that you did that let's do it different and can make that human 
connection. It's right. really important. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I get I get two years with these students, and so we get really tight. And it is yeah. such a it's a beautiful process to watch someone go through learning to become an EMT or a paramedic because it is hard. That is a bunch of suffering in that process. And for mm-hmm. you to to stand by them and just adore them and like them just as they are as people, they start coming to you and they start wanting to not it. Um, can sometimes look if they're young enough look a little maternal and they really mm-hmm. want they really want to please you yeah you just summed up my yeah. relationship with kelly grayson to a t i oh. mean so that's, that's <laughs> let me let me let me rephrase i you, you mentioned you know what what do you do when uh when the student does something that you didn't desire um how do you address it when the student doesn't do something that you desired like prepare for class you come to class emotionally invested uh, yeah. open uh, to yep. teaching, but they haven't done the legwork and the groundwork yeah. to be receptive to what you're, they ain't picking up what you're putting down because they didn't yeah. do the, the, the background info. How do you, how do you get a student in the same mindset that you are? How do you motivate them? Right. Let me, let we're me, talking- let me, pi- let me pile on here a little bit before you jump in with this answer. Jesus, we're about to, we're about to solve the whole riddle of I, human I know, motiv- motivation. I gotta, I gotta add to it. I mean, so just, just know that you're going to be, uh, everybody's listening to this part. You know, one of the things that I think we do, you know, I think Kelly's question is, is a great formulation of one of the problems that we have in the initial education phase is that people aren't being prepared. But also, I think we do it a little bit backwards as well. Is we give them a chapter to read, and we say, "I want you to, I want you to prepare for this lecture." Instead, I want to give them the lecture. I want to give them the material. I want to talk about the anatomy. I want to talk about the pathophysiology. I want to talk about the disease process and then treatment and management. Then go back and reinforce it with that, you know, with that reading. And I've been pretty successful with that. But in the sense of people not being prepared to learn. Going back to Kelly's question, then, how are you addressing that? Well, I think a lot of, if, if an educator is listening right now, they feel what you're talking about. I do, too. We, we all are feeling this, um, particularly with the textbooks. It is very difficult to get them motivated to read a textbook. And so what, mm-hmm. what, what I have done is I've accepted it, right? I've accepted that some students are not going to purchase the textbook or read it, and I'm still charged with educating them. But still, I've got the same um, responsibility, and I'm, I'm, I've done a couple of things. One tool I'm using, it's a trick. Basically, what I did is I took the textbook, and I typed it out, but in a different format, and presented it to them as a Google Doc, and they think it's some electronic resource to help them learn. It's really just the textbook. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but because it is, they feel like it's something I'm giving them, and it's a uh, electronic. There's something about it. They they think it's somehow different than a textbook. I'm tricking them, but I just exposed myself. That's a, a useful little trick that I will add hey. to my repertoire. So um, Google, uh, I don't know if uh, oh, you guys use Google Docs, but mm-hmm. they're spectacular. I will put some bullet points and ask them as a you know a class of about 20 students to I crowdsource it where they all are contributing to this document and they have different colors so you can see who's kind of adding and um, it's like this fluid document where they're building this document together before you know the next modular test and we're kind of all literally on the same page of you know what do we agree are the key learning objectives and the uh, teaching points with that but they're helping me build it every semester I start with a, a blank one I don't just hand it to them. That's one tool. 
Yeah, I think that's amazing. I mean, did you ever think about even the opportunity of inviting people from the outside into those documents as well? And That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. especially if there's expertise. So I, I want to switch gears a little bit because we kind of said that there were two things that we wanted to focus on. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we have in our career field is that we have to take a, a, a human being and we have to put them into a situation where they develop some knowledge and then they have to exercise that knowledge and deliver the highest quality of patient care that they can under stressful uh, situations, under pressure. So now from an educator standpoint, if we think about the science of human performance under pressure, what are we going to do you know, to help people realize, I mean, because this could even go to the crux of uh, developing PTSD and developing burnout because we don't really put people in this situation where they're going to be working in the classroom. I mean, we try to do our best, but, you know, so h how do we really bridge this now and really think about human performance under pressure and, and being successful at it? So there's some two things, I think, two, two key steps to performing well under pressure and to prepare others to do that. The first is get them automated with certain things like psychomotor skills need to mm -hmm. be to the level of mastery that it's just automated is very little cognition and it's just um a neural network that just you start it you, you start kind of access the neural network and it just goes automatically so you have to get to that level of mastery so we're not um if you have enough time in education which is why i think we need degrees i think we need more time with these students i need mm -hmm. they need they need sleep cycles they need um, time for all this stuff to absorb, right? It can't happen quickly. So um, getting them to a mastery level with, you know, starting an IV is a, a huge gift you can give to them on these stressful calls. The second thing is to teach them, to teach them about the stress response. And most medics know about the stress response, um, but really tell them about all of it. Things like the fact that they might lose their hearing, right? You get what's called auditory exclusion. You may kind of not have access to that as much under acute stress and just teach them um, what that looks like. That's the first step of stress inoculation is just even telling them, expect this. This is the human operating system. When under stress, your brain does this. Prepare for that. That's step one. Step two is putting them in scenarios, simulations that are not particularly stressful, but maybe just have like maybe one audio track of a crying baby on a loop and it's just a little irritating, right? Just a little aggravating. And so they can practice what Mike Loria and Scott Weingart call the, um, they call them psychological skills to improve uh, performance under stress. And they're things like controlled breathing, self-talk. I like the nuts and bolts that you're giving on, on, on how to deal with that stress response and how to power through it. Uh, the awareness first and foremost, uh, of what they're going to face, uh, and then the, the, the skills to, to go through it. And one of the things that you're, uh, that, that you've advocated throughout your podcast is the process of cognitive offloading. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, giving people actual nuts and bolts tools to deal with the stress response. And so you don't have to devote brain power to remembering the steps of something. And, and it boggles me that so many people still, uh, educators even still don't remember that. Uh, and, and they pay scant attention to that. They spend their time in classrooms teaching people to remember 
uh, and memorize a bunch of algorithms and drug dosages and, and those sorts of things instead of telling them, hey, there, here's your uh, here's your your drug dosage guide, here's your po- your protocol book, here's your algorithm sheet uh, that you can look at and not have to devote brain power to memorizing that. Um, and and I, I think we pay very very uh, scant attention to to how people actually process information and and um, and how they think. Uh, I guess that would be why your 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 podcast is named the Medic Mindset. Uh, that whole um, that whole process of of uh, critical thinking and and how we process information, how we get in that mindset. I can tag on to that by saying that you said you know we. We're curious about how people think under pressure, but the reality is what um, Daniel Kahneman said in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, he said under acute stress, some people would like to not even call it thinking. It's not really process or critical thinking. It's more reflexive, Mm -hmm. and that's what's called system one thinking. It's um, pattern recognition and just almost like automatic Mm -hmm. responses with biases and things like that. Um, So we need to prepare for the fact or kind of acknowledge the fact that the human brain under stress loves to just go into system one thinking where it's reflexive. And so one of the recommendations from Mike Loria and Scott Weingart is to create cognitive pit stops where where you're going down the road in this acute call and you literally take a stop. You say the word, you know, I need a little time out here. Let's stop. Let's think. And you, you engage in purposeful thinking, which is system two thinking, which is critical thinking, um, not using pattern recognition, but more systematic analysis. Of, you know, hey, guys, here's what I'm seeing. What do y'all see? Kind of getting on this shared mental model and agreement mm-hmm. about what's going on. But it's a, you have to create a, a forcing function to stop. And it's we resist that temptation because we think this is a time-sensitive event. And it is, much of it is time-sensitive. By, by taking 30 to 60 seconds, you can make sure you're going down the right road, right? Speed doesn't yeah. matter if you're going down the wrong road. That's right. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I like the way you you, you kind of break this into a, a two pronged process uh, on on how to first how to how to deal with the inevitable acute stress reaction and and uh, Weingart's cognitive pit stops and, and forcing yourself to slow down, get out of that system one thinking, and be methodical in your decision making process. Uh, but the other the other uh, prong is is trying is being skilled and uh, uh, skilled enough and having enough tools that you experience that stress reaction less often than you would have otherwise. Uh, and, and you said it yourself, preparation uh, and, and mastery of your skills. So you don't have to think about those things uh, makes you far less likely to, to be as uh, stressed on a particular call as you would have otherwise. Would you agree with that? I would. And, and Mike Loria talks about this. He says that positive self-talk only works if you're actually being truthful with yourself. If you say, I'm great at starting yeah. IVs and you know you're not good at starting IVs, that doesn't work, right? <laughs> you have to be yeah. good at, you have to have the knowledge and the abilities. And then when you need to employ like some good positive kind of self-talk, then it works. Without the mastery, you know, you know where you are, right? Mm-hmm. There's no amount of breathing or self-talk to make you feel better about it. Trick yourself into it. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. And we've been spending this podcast talking about how we think. We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabalero, 
And our special guest this week, Ginger Locke, who we hope to have back uh, frequently. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. <laughs>